Yo, what's up guys, and welcome to Christian's Corner. I'm Christian. Today we're going to be talking about the National Championship game, the AFC and NFC Divisional games that happen Saturday and Sunday, Premier League Soccer, and then we're going to move on and close the episode out with CES. Let's get into it. So obviously last night Clemson played LSU in the much-awaited college championship game, which I was being very impatient waiting for this game to happen. LSU finally brought home a national championship to Baton Rouge for the first time since 2007, which is great for LSU, a historic school in college football, finally get another championship and beating a team who has really owned the national championship these past four years. They also became the 10th team to win the national championship four times in the AP poll era. But without further ado, the game started off pretty hot for Clemson. They were looking really good, surprising LSU's defense. Trevor Lawrence got a nice offsides call, threw a bomb down the field, picked up a big chunk of yards, and they were looking really good. And even though LSU, for the most part, was stopping them there in the first quarter, the punting game from Clemson was phenomenal. They were pinning Joe Burrow in that offense back at their own goal line, making sure that they didn't really have a chance to do what LSU does. They were really limiting the play calling, and the defense was doing a good job in the first quarter, early second quarter, of stopping that offense and giving Clemson enough time to give themselves a lead. Because Clemson was never going to win this game if it went to a shootout. Trevor Lawrence by no means couldn't win that game with his arm. Between LSU and Clemson, all around, Clemson just didn't have what it takes to go four quarters just bombing the, throwing the ball down the field like LSU can. If Clemson wanted to win that game, they would have had to do the entire game, which is hard to do, what they did in that first quarter. Limit LSU to very short yardage and play hard defense. Give Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne enough chances to put them up and then just hold that lead. Because Trevor Lawrence just wasn't going to be able to throw his way out of that. And he wasn't. Even though he played a good game. I mean, well, played a decent game. 18-37, 234 yards. It's really good. Got a rushing touchdown. But he also coughed up a crucial fumble there late in the game that really hurt the team. But, I mean, at the beginning of the game, though, Clemson was playing well. Trevor Lawrence was throwing the ball well. Travis Etienne, I mean, he always plays well. First touchdown of the game, great read option. Everybody follows Etienne. Lawrence rushes it. They get a field goal. Then... They get another touchdown, and it wasn't looking too good for LSU. They were down 7-17, to and Clemson was winning the game, doing what they needed to do. And then that all changed very quickly. After that Joe Burrow touchdown, it was pretty much all LSU from there. Then it was Jamar Chase, who had a phenomenal game. Jamar Chase played... Phenomenal football for Clemson. I mean, LSU. Nine catches, 221 yards, and two touchdowns. Justin Jefferson looked good as well, but, I mean, 221 yards, it's, it's 
pretty good game. They just didn't have an answer for him, and it was pretty clear. But the star of the game, even though he only had 36 yards, was definitely Thaddeus Moss. Got those two touchdowns, and it was great to watch Randy Moss celebrate that. Um, it's just crazy to think, though, that Randy Moss is old enough to have a kid playing college football. It's weird. Anyways, but after, after that first LSU touchdown, well, second, rather, Clemson just didn't have an answer for them. They they could not stop Joe Burrow and that fantastic, fantastic play calling. I mean, the offensive play calling for LSU was insane. The delayed quarterback draws, the passing plays, targeting that defense and getting that ball into Chase's hands. It was phenomenal. I mean, Clemson's defense just didn't have an answer, which is odd because... Clemson is usually a team praised for their defense, but they didn't have to play against Joe Burrow. He, he lit the game up, cemented himself as one of the best seasons in college football history, winning the Heisman, winning the national championship game, breaking the touchdown in a single season record. I mean, he's unstoppable. He, he had a phenomenal season, a season that a lot of people didn't expect him to have. He he wasn't he wasn't a Trevor Lawrence. That everybody is like, oh, it's it's gonna be a great season for him. And he proved everybody wrong and he led his team to a national championship in a phenomenal performance. And I you gotta give it to LSU's defense as well. They played really well. They limited Travis Etienne to seventy eight yards. He did get into the end zone, but that's a good game. He he's a phenomenal player and it's it's hard to stop him. And that was that. I mean, Clemson just didn't have an answer for it. And Joe Burrow just beating the socks off of Clemson. It was a phenomenal game, and it was a great game, and I was glad I got to watch it. It went super late, but it was worth it. But moving on to the NFL, we're going to start off with the NFC game between the Vikings and the 49ers, a game where pretty much everybody except Viking fans, I assume, expected the 49ers to win that game, and they did exactly that. Jimmy Garoppolo played a good game, um, and so did that San Francisco defense, limiting Minnesota to 10 points, but, I mean, again, pretty much everybody expected that to happen. Despite that being said, you got to give it to Minnesota. They played a fairly good game, and you can't blame Kirk Cousins, even though he is the first person to get crap from people. He played a good game. He, th- he threw a pretty bad pick, but he's right to Richard Sherman. But still, 21 to 29, 172 yards, and he threw for a touchdown. Not a bad game. Not a great game. But you can't blame him completely for that loss. Kirk Cousins, his, for whoever he plays for, has always been the fall guy because he's not the flashy guy. He's not the guy who's going to go out there and throw for four or 5,000 yards and 30, 40 touchdowns a season. He's not that guy. But by no means is he just some bum. He can win games if you put good players around him. And he has a pretty good receiving core. Adam Thielen, great receiver. Stefan Diggs, great receiver. And a good running back in Dalvin Cook who didn't do anything the entire game. I mean, he only had 18 yards, but they only gave it to him nine times, so there's that. But Kirk Cousins has always gotten blamed for his team's losses. 
and he's he definitely didn't deserve it in Washington because I mean it's Washington they can lose with anybody and he continues to receive that criticism here in Minnesota and it's just unwarranted I think it's easiest to blame a quarterback but he he goes out there he plays hard he tries to win his team football games but he can only do so much and he doesn't deserve all the blame it was all around a, a loss for Minnesota they played Poorly on defense. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo played really well. He only threw the ball 19 times, 11 to 19, a touchdown. But he also threw an interception. I mean, the Vikings' defense played fairly well. They limited that offense as best as they could for for as long as they could. I think the real biggest thing for that San Francisco offense was that running game. I mean, 58 yards for a more step. Um, Coleman had 105 with two touchdowns. Matt Breda put in 17 yards. I mean, the San Francisco 49ers basically just played old school West Coast football. Run the ball hard, quick, short passes, and just limit the Vikings defense, I mean offense, and that's exactly what they did. Richard Sherman, part of a great defense, one of the best in the NFL this season, had their way with the game. They were able to get to Cousins six times, which never helps in the passing game either. Um, and receivers weren't getting open for Cousins. Now, the interception was completely his fault. It, it was not a, not a good pass. It was straight to Sherman. And I, I honestly don't know why I threw it, but, you know, here we are. And the... The 49ers defense did exactly what they needed to do. I mean, if you hold a team to 10 points, typically in the NFL, you're going to win the game. And that's exactly what they did because the, the the Vikings aren't a big play offense. They have big play receiver and stuff on digs, but, you know, if you're not getting open, if you're not getting a chance to throw the ball because the pass rush, it's hard to get a big play. And San Francisco did a great job eliminating that. And they got the win. Everybody expected that. They did exactly what what we would have thought. And they put themselves a ticket in to the NFC Championship game. And on the same night, Saturday, an even bigger game ensued. The number one seeded Baltimore Ravens took on the Tennessee Titans, led by Ryan Tannehill, which I'm going to say quite a bit. Everybody pretty much thought that Lamar Jackson would do what Lamar Jackson does and just steamroll the Titans. But it didn't quite go that way. Um, that being said, though, Lamar Jackson played well. You cannot blame him for that crazy upset. Tennessee played phenomenal football defensively, doing what you would expect a Mike Vrabel team to do. And to praise Mike Vrabel, what he has done with this organization is absolutely insane. He he out Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick, in the wild card game, beating an uncharacteristically poor New England team. To be fair, New England hasn't been the team that everybody expects New England to be this season. Their defense was phenomenal this season, but 
Tom Brady and the offense just weren't what we expected Tom Brady offense to be. He didn't have a very good season, partly because he didn't really have anybody around him, but also because maybe it's maybe it's time that Tom Brady can't quite carry a team anymore. The defense did that, except in the playoffs, the defense can't typically, unless it was last year's Super Bowl, which was boring, or the Broncos versus Carolina Super Bowl, which was also really boring. But typically that's not going to happen. Typically you need to put up points, and the New England offense just couldn't do it in the same way that they have for pretty much two decades. They move on to a team that is a very good offense. Lamar Jackson, probably going to win the MVP. Had a historic season breaking Michael Vick's rushing record as a quarterback and also throwing for over 3,000 yards. He had a phenomenal season, and everybody expected him to absolutely crush this Tennessee team, which I guess if you look at it from a certain way, he did. He threw for 365 yards, which is, I mean, that's pretty amazing. Two interceptions, but he did get a touchdown as well as rushing for 143 yards and surprisingly not getting a touchdown. He played well. He threw the ball 59 times as well, which was another thing entirely, but the Tennessee team, like Clemson, at the beginning of the game at least, were winning field positioning. The Ravens were a lot of the time starting at the close to their end zone and having to drive far down the field to do anything. Tennessee's defense was following up and playing phenomenal football. They sacked Jackson four times. They picked him off twice. To be fair, some of those throws weren't great, but, but on the other hand, dropped balls were the story of that Ravens offense. So many receivers dropped passes, it wasn't even funny. I mean, they just, they were not helping Lamar out when it mattered most. And they weren't dropping hard passes. They were dropping routine passes that most players in the NFL, well, most players who play football should be able to catch at any level. And they just weren't able to pull them in, which really hurt Lamar and that offense because some of them were key plays, key yardage, plays that would have picked up first downs but didn't. And it really hurt that uh, Baltimore offense. But on the other hand, Tennessee did what they needed to do. Even though, yes, Lamar put up 365 yards, which typically if you if you see a quarterback throw for 365 yards and rush for 143 t- yards, you're going to assume that team won the game. But they didn't, purely because of field positioning. I mean, Lamar had to go deep down the field, but he couldn't follow through. That was a big story of that game. They would drive, get far down the field, but they could only put up 12 points. And that's not what anybody would have expected, especially Lamar Jackson and that Baltimore offense. But on the other hand, Tennessee had to follow through and put up points on a good Ravens defense. And the story of that game, like the Patriots game, was once again Derrick Henry. The man is proving that he can be mentioned up there with Ezekiel Elliott, Le'Veon Bell, Saquon Barkley. Okay, maybe he's not as naturally gifted as Saquon. Granted, nobody really is at that running back position. But he's a phenomenal football player, and I think one of the best running backs in the league, easily. 15 yards 
15 yards, 1,500 yards this season, and he's capping off a great regular season with a phenomenal postseason, joining some big names like Eric Dis- Dickerson, yeah, Eric Dickerson, and Fred Taylor, Le'Veon Bell, playing great football, breaking records. He's now the he leads the NFL in most rushing yards in their first four playoff games. And it's because he's getting 195 yards against the Baltimore defense and 182 yards against the New England Patriots. I mean, he's literally steamrolling people. Literally and figuratively. He's He got 30 carries, which is a lot of carries, and it makes you wonder, is he going to be able to maintain this through the rest of the playoffs? Let's say they get to the Super Bowl. Let's say that this... Tennessee team with a starting quarterback as Ryan Tannehill. Just just going to keep saying that. Gets to the Super Bowl. Will Derrick Henry be fresh enough to do what he's been doing so far this postseason? Will he be able to have about 30 carries and not start slowing down? I... I think he'll be fine if, let's say, they get to the Super Bowl, but a lot of people raise questions when running backs start carrying the ball this much. Can they keep it going? But the other thing is, Derrick Henry, he's got a great arm. Threw a great touchdown pass. A jump pass, it was only three yards, but still, it was a great touchdown. Uh, definitely definitely a shocker. It, it was a great play, though. It was fun to watch. He, he had a phenomenal game, by far the player of the game. I mean, 195 yards and a passing touchdown. Pretty good. He's playing great football for this Tennessee team, and he is allowing Ryan Tannehill to fit into his system and succeed. Ryan Tannehill was never going to be a guy like Kirk Cousins, but Kirk Cousins is more talented than Ryan Tannehill, who was going to just go out there and throw 30 passes a game and pass your team to a win. He's not that guy. I don't care who he has as his receivers. He's not that guy. He's the guy. You say, okay, we've got a great defense. We have a fantastic running back. And we have receivers who can make plays. Just got to get them the ball. And that's exactly what he's doing. I mean, he only threw 14 passes, but he's, he had two touchdowns. Only 88 yards, but he had two touchdowns. What this Tennessee team is doing so that Ryan Tannehill can succeed is is perfect. They're giving him exactly what he needs to win games. Great running game. Don't throw the ball a lot. And let the defense do the trick. And you got to give it to Mike Vrabel. I mean, he is truly proving to be a fantastic coach. His defense is phenomenal, as you would expect. And every player, you can just tell, loves playing for him and wants to make sure that they win for him. He's going to have a great career as a coach. You, you can't deny his potential, his ceiling. And it's just insane. I mean, to, to be able to go into Baltimore, even though I don't believe in home field advantage, I think it's... Mm, whatever. But to go into Baltimore... 
to hold Baltimore to 12 points when Lamar Jackson puts up 365 yards in the air and 143 on the ground. That's phenomenal. That shows that the defense, even though they gave up a lot of yards, made sure that they weren't able to finish off drives, which is ultimately more important. Who cares how many yards you put up if you can't score? And then just have Derrick Henry carry a team on his back to throw for a touchdown, to be able to allow Ryan Tannehill to be comfortable in an offense and win games. Ryan Tannehill is one game away from being a Super Bowl player. It's a weird thought. He's two games away from winning a Super Bowl. Ryan Tannehill. Let that sink in. Ryan Tannehill is one game away from the Super Bowl. That's weird. I don't think anybody ever would have guessed that. I don't think Ryan Tannehill would have guessed that he would be leading a team to an AFC championship game. I mean, wow. But it was a great game. It was a surprising game, a very heartbreaking game for Baltimore fans who really thought this was their year. But Derrick Henry, Mike Rabel, and this amazing Tennessee team was just too much to overcome. And it was disappointing. Um, but hats off to this Baltimore team. They had a fantastic season in Lamar Jackson. I mean, a historic, historic season. He's got a bright future. So, crazy game. Moving right along. We're going to look at... But moving right along, we're going to look at the Texans and the Chiefs. A game that started very, very oddly, but ended, well, in the most Chiefs way you could have expected. Deshaun Watson and that Texan team were playing great football. <laughs> I mean, they're up 24-3 to with eight minutes to go in the second quarter. And I'm like... Well, what's going on? What what happened to Patrick Mahomes and this this Chiefs offense? And now let's talk about that crazy Texans Chiefs game. It started off exactly the way no one expected it to go. It was twenty four to nothing, Houston, with ten fifty four left to go in the second quarter. The Texans were not only putting up points on this Chiefs team. To be fair, a very unhealthy Chiefs defense. But still, the Chiefs defense. But they were also limiting a fairly healthy Chiefs offense with Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill to zero points halfway through the second quarter. <laughs> the Texans were not only putting up points, but limiting a high-flying offense to absolutely nothing. Patrick Mahomes didn't have an answer. Well, they're not a running team, so Damian Williams definitely didn't have an answer, but I mean, they they just weren't doing anything until Patrick Mahomes finally gets something going. Finds Damian Williams for 17 yards. Nine minutes in. Now it's 24-7. to And after that first Chiefs touchdown, it was Chiefs all the way. Three and a half minutes, they score three touchdowns. Completely flipped the game just like that. I mean, Deshaun Watson and this Texans team were playing great football and limiting a great team to nothing. And then that great team showed their greatness by doing something ridiculous in three and a half minutes. 
don't see a team put up 21 points in three and a half minutes very often. It's, yeah, it never happens. Well, Patrick Mahomes can do it, and he did. Travis Kelsey also had a phenomenal game. Um, <laughs> he caught a five-yard pass from Mahomes, then a six-yard pass from Mahomes, then a five-yard pass from Mahomes. Kelsey had three receiving touchdowns in the second quarter alone. Two of them came in a span of like a minute and a half, and another was right before halftime, giving the Chiefs their first lead of the game, 28-24, going into the half. It was ridiculous. The last like 10 minutes of the, the second quarter, Patrick Mahomes linking up with everybody, but really capping off drives, finding Travis Kelsey right there around the end zone. It was it was a phenomenal way to end the second quarter and put them in a great position for the start of the second half. Um, I mean, they absolutely... But the Chiefs were able to respond very well using Patrick Mahomes, doing what Patrick Mahomes does, finding Travis Kelsey and Damian Williams, who's typically not going to get in the end zone because of a rushing touchdown, and really changing the outcome of that game in a matter of nine minutes. Everything shifted into KC's favor. I mean everything, and it was all Kansas City the rest of the game. Houston just looked like two completely different teams from that first one-and-a-half quarters, and they just couldn't do anything. Defensively, they didn't have answers. Offensively, they couldn't get a single first. It felt like they couldn't get a first down. I mean, they could not get anything going whatsoever. And it was all Kansas City from there, and it turned into pretty much what we would have expected, a 51-35 routing. But it, it was crazy. I mean, 24 points in two quarters, and then just one touchdown in the third quarter, and they didn't put up any points after that. I mean... And it was late in the third quarter as well. And, I mean, the Texans just completely fell asleep. And, I mean, there wasn't much to really talk about in that game because of the giant momentum shift there in the second quarter. And after that, I mean, it was just Kansas City touchdown, Kansas City touchdown, Kansas City touchdown. And Patrick Mahomes just had a field day, I mean. He, 23 of 35, it's a good game, 321 yards and five touchdowns. He he had a phenomenal game, didn't get sacked, had some amazing throws. That one where his, his left leg was dragging behind that line of scrimmage, throws the touchdown pass. Oh, that was pretty, that was a pretty play. But the Texans just didn't have an answer after that first touchdown. That was that. I mean... And that's saying something because Watson still had a good game and threw 52 passes, but uh, 388 yards, more than Mahomes. Two touchdowns, zero picks. Nobody threw an interception, which is good. But he just didn't have as much help. Um, Carlos Hyde didn't really give too much help, but Watson and Mahomes, pretty much the best runners for their teams in that game. Hopkins played well, nine catches, 118 yards, but, I mean, Texans didn't really have much to talk about after, after those first 24 points, it was, it was all Kansas City, and, 
they're looking pretty, pretty favored to win that Titans game. But, again, you never know with that Titans team. But the Titans haven't played an offense. Well, actually, they did. They played Baltimore, and they crushed Baltimore. So it'll be an interesting matchup to see what, what Kansas City can do against against a talented Tennessee team. They show that they can make big plays out of nothing. Three and a half minutes, three touchdowns, completely changed the course of the game. So it'll be interesting to see what Tennessee's answer for it is. I look forward to seeing what Mike Vrabel, more importantly, has to call up against Kansas City. And it'll be interesting to see what Kansas City can do against Derrick Henry, especially if Chris Jones does not play in that game. Because he's a key factor for Kansas City in the run game. And it'll be really, really interesting to see whether or not he plays. It's a day-to-day injury. It doesn't seem like it'll, it should be something that keeps him out. But the game is in less than a week now. And if he's not there, Derrick Henry might just have his way with that Kansas City defense once again. And it'll allow Ryan Tannehill to do what he does best and just manage the game. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, I don't think that Kansas City will be able to put up 51 points and just absolutely crush Tennessee. I think Tennessee really will play a good game against them, unlike the Texans did, at least in the latter half of the game. It'll be interesting to see. Um, But Patrick Mahomes, I mean, what can you say about the guy? Phenomenal game. Travis Kelsey had a great game. I mean, 134 yards, 10 catches, and three touchdowns. The second leading receiver in terms of receptions was Tyree Kilbeth, just three. I mean, Kelsey had more receptions than Sammy Watkins, Tyree Kill, Damien Williams, Hardman, and Bell combined, if I did the math correctly. Okay, that's wrong. He had more catches than the top four receivers behind him. Right. Am I doing math really badly? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs> math. Got it right. Gosh, I can't add. Basic. Anyways, phenomenal game for Kelsey. Phenomenal game for Patrick Mahomes, which everybody expects from him. And it'll be an interesting AFC matchup. I, I look forward to it. I think that Tennessee really will play great defense against a high-flying offense. It'll be interesting to see what... I'm honestly looking most forward to seeing what Derrick Henry can do because he's really impressed everybody this season, specifically me. And I, I just enjoy watching him play. It'll be interesting to see what happens. But with that being said, let's move right along to the Packers and the 49ers. As a Packers fan, I'm really glad that we are moving on to an NFC Championship game against, unfortunately, a very talented San Francisco team. And it'll be interesting to see what our answers are on both sides of the ball. But for now, I'm going to enjoy our win. So we played a talented Seahawks team. I I didn't think the game was going to go the way it did, at least at the beginning. We, well, we were playing very, very well. Defensively, we looked great. Seattle wasn't really able to generate anything. They weren't even getting many first downs. I mean, (laughs) they didn't even have five going into the second quarter. Well, in the second quarter. 
and we were playing really great defense. Our defense has been one of our biggest improvements, though. In recent seasons, we've had a, at times, very questionable defense, both pass and rush defense. But luckily, we added a guy like, well, the Smith brothers, who have been really good at getting to the quarterback, and Darius Smith did a great job of doing that to Russell Wilson. We played a great game. I mean, we really limited them. Marshawn Lynch wasn't able really to do anything. He only had 26 yards on 12 carries, even though <laughs> when Marshawn Lynch runs, a four-yard run looks like a 20-yard run because that man just doesn't go down. But Wilson actually led the game for the Seahawks in rushing, even though Marshawn did get into the end zone twice. But Wilson looked good. He 277 yards. Completed a high percentage of his passes and threw for a touchdown. And Aaron Rodgers looked good as well. Two touchdowns completed 59, not bad. Um, but once again, as people have come to expect for the Green Bay offense, all Devontae Adams targeted 11 times. The highest targeted person after him was Jimmy Graham with just four. The only other person who was targeted more than once was Jones. And that was twice. So, I mean, we're... All about Devontae Adams, and I definitely expect Richard Sherman and that Seahawks... I mean, the Seahawks don't play there anymore. Richard Sherman and that 49ers defense to really limit Devontae Adams better than the Seahawks did. So it'll be interesting to see how Aaron Rodgers will get himself out of that, having to rely on more than just Devontae Adams. And I know a lot of people say, well, Devontae Adams is really the only real weapon that Rodgers has. I completely disagree. Now, do we have guys out there like Devontae Adams? The same caliber? No. But Alan Lazard, Geronimo Allison, they can make plays. Pallas Scantling can make plays if we trust them, if we get the ball to them, if we run more plays. And that's what we're going to have to do because if the Packers rely solely on the Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers connection, there's no way they're winning that game. No way. Richard Sherman is not going to let Aaron Rodgers target Adams 11 times. Get him the ball 8. And Adams, I doubt, is going to have 106 yards or something like that and two touchdowns. Richard Sherman's not going to be that guy who allows that to happen. So it'll be interesting to see what Green Bay can do against the 49ers defense, who I think is probably much better equipped to handle that offense than... Seattle was. But uh, it was a one-sided game there in the first half. 21-3, to Seattle just couldn't generate anything offensively. Green Bay was playing really, really phenomenal defense, limiting them to pretty much everything. The running game wasn't working. They were getting to Wilson. Um, and Marshawn Lynch wasn't really generating anything. I mean, we sacked Wilson five times. They got to Rodgers two times. So we won the sack game by far. We we did a great job of getting to Wilson. And we did a really good job, too, of making sure he didn't do what Russell Wilson does and get out of the pocket and pick up a lot of yards on his feet. I mean, he picked up 64, but it could have been much worse. We We did a great job of managing that. I keep saying we, Green Bay, did a great job of managing Russell Wilson and really 
forced him to throw the ball. We're starting to work there in the second half. The third quarter was definitely won by Seattle, um, even though Green Bay were able to put up a touchdown. And then the fourth quarter was all Seattle. They only put up six points, but Green Bay was completely shut out there in the fourth quarter, which leads me to probably the biggest talking point of that game. And I'm glad it happened because replay in the NFL is something I really, really want to talk about, and I have a reason to. Even though I think Green Bay still would have won that game had the right call been made, it wasn't the right call, and it shouldn't have happened that way. Graham makes the catch, goes down. Now, the yellow line and the actual first down marker were actually not very close at all, but even though Graham was close to that first down line, the actual first down marker, I just... He wasn't closer than a foot. It should have been fourth and inches. We should have been in a fourth down situation. Green Bay should have been in a fourth down situation. It should not have been a first down. And a state of replay is just a lot of bad calls. I mean, earlier in the game, Green Bay should have had a fumble recovery, but because of inconclusive evidence, it stayed with Seattle, first down. I don't like this inconclusive rule because every time I watch replay, or at least 90% of the time, I'm like, okay, I, I could have made that call in two seconds. It slows down the game, and it takes way too long for these refs, experts of the rules, to make a decision. I don't know why it takes five, ten minutes to decide whether a toe was in bounds when you can clearly see green. If you see green, it is in bounds. Review over, first down or whatever. It just takes way too long. It slows down the game. And a lot of the times they get it wrong. The fumble recovery should have been green baseball. By rule, the refs did make the right call in that third down situation. There wasn't enough evidence to overturn the call, even though to me, and as a Green Bay fan, I can admit this, it looked like he was at least a foot short. And I don't see how the refs couldn't see that. The inconclusive rule really gets in the way of a lot of plays getting overturned because refs are just, I don't know whether they're too afraid or whatever. If there isn't like concrete evidence that, oh, that was clearly short, it always stands. And I'm tired of seeing plays that shouldn't stand stand because there wasn't, quote unquote, enough evidence to overturn the call. Because most of the time I feel like there's pretty clear evidence to overturn calls. The fumble, that fourth, that third down play, it looked like he was short. I could be wrong, but it looked pretty clear that he was at least a foot short. And it did change the outcome of the game, even though, yes, I still think that Green Bay would have won that game. It did change the outcome of the game because all Green Bay had to do was do my least favorite thing in probably sports is take a knee. I hate that stupid 
taking a knee crap. It's just, it doesn't belong in football. You're basically just saying, you know what, you can't do anything at this point. Let me just sit down and, uh, I, I hate, I hate taking a knee. Play the game. If you cop off, if you cough up a fumble and lose the game, oh well. I, I hate it. I don't like it. It should be taken out of the game. That's just me. You shouldn't be able to just waste a minute and a half not playing the game pretty much so the other team just doesn't even have a chance. I don't like it. I'd rather lose in the dying seconds of the game because the team coughed up a fumble than watch a quarterback just take a knee three times in a row. It's ridiculous. Anyways, but it was an unfortunate call and it's going to be one of those games with an asterisk beside it which Green Bay versus Seattle has tended to be a series, whether it be postseason or regular season, where games have not necessarily been decided, but really changed by the wrong, the right or wrong calls. And it seems to be kind of a theme for this matchup, which is disappointing, but it continues to happen, and I think replay rules need to be changed so that teams don't keep getting screwed over by I don't want to necessarily say the refs but the rule books that the refs have to follow inconclusive evidence is a scapegoat to say I'm too scared to change the play so it's just going to stand because I don't want to be wrong well a lot of the times you're wrong because of that ridiculous rule and it needs to change and I do feel sorry for Seattle because they probably should have had a chance to, to get the ball back and try and win that game. I'd rather lose fair and square than cheat a team possibly out of a loss. That being said, I'm so excited that we were going to the NFC Championship game. But I wish the game ended differently because it's going to be something that's talked about. And it seems to be Green Bay has a, a knack for getting refs to make calls in their favor. Remember the Dallas game from can't remember what year that was, but the Des Bryant famous no catch that uh, definitely changed the outcome of that game. So um, it'll be interesting to see, and it'll be interesting what the NFL does with the pass interference uh, challenging rule now, because a lot of refs, nine times out of ten, are not going to change the play regardless of whether it's completely obvious or not. So the NFL is going to have to do some work on that and I really wish they would change the inconclusive evidence rule because it's really hurting a lot of teams and annoying a lot of fans and it also slows down the game it shouldn't take five minutes to make a call when there's plenty of evidence to make it one way or the other but enough of that now we're going to move on to Premier League Soccer where this weekend Sergio Aguero in my opinion cemented himself as the greatest Premier League striker of all time. Better than Omri, yes. Better than Alan Shearer. Better than whoever you want to put in there. Broke, once again, the record. Two records, actually. He went two clear of Thierry Henry's 177 goals as the most by a player that is not English in the Premier League. And he also went clear of Alan Shearer's record of 11 hat-tricks. I mean, Aguero is insane. He's had a fantastic career for City. He's been consistently one of their best players and has helped them 
win titles under Pep and under um, Pellegrini. He's a fantastic player, and uh, he definitely deserves it. He continues to impress at the ripe old age of 31, and he's clearly got tons left in him. It's it's He's a fun player to watch. He's a phenomenal player. He can do it all. He's got great heading ability being only 5'7", so a uh, talented player. But it was great to see him uh, do so well. Well, you expect City to win, but have such a such a great game and to have such a great career there. He's, he's a phenomenal player, really fun to watch, and he definitely deserves it. And as a Chelsea fan, I can admit he's a very talented player. Speaking of Chelsea, they got a much, much needed win this weekend after really struggling here in the later part of the season, at least that's been played so far, getting an important 3-0 win against Burnley thanks to <laughs> thanks to goals from hudson Odoi, Tammy Abraham, and Jorginho from the penalty spot again. It was a much better performance. Um, it was it was nice to see Hudson Odoi out there. I think he's someone who deserves to have more playtime. Yeah, he's young, but he gets a lot of heat for being so young, and because he was so young, he he got a lot of hype. And I think that hype's deserved, and I think that Chelsea fans need to back off on targeting him so much. He's a talented player, and he's super, super young. I mean, he's still a kid. And he played excuse me. He played phenomenal football, uh, created multiple chances, scored a nice goal. He's playing good football for this club and he had a good weekend a week ago in the FA Cup as well. He deserves to get more playing time out there. Um, I'd like to see us rotate our wingers more. Um, I would like to see Pulisic get more play time, but if I had a choice, I prefer seeing Willian out there and Hudson and Doy. Also love watching Mason Mount, who struggled there in the first half, had a much better second half, even though, uh, yeah, he had, a, he had a slip up there. Really, really poor shot. That was, it was pretty ugly, but he redeemed himself. It was a good game. Andreas Christensen got a start that I'm glad he got. Um, I think he's one of the, probably our most skilled center back in terms of he reads the game better than any of them do. He's more skilled on the ball than any of our center backs are. He's not as fast as Rudiger or Zuma. He's not as strong, most aren't, as Rudiger and Zuma. But he is a better footballer. Sorry, soccer player for Americans. He reads the game better than they do. He is a better defender than they are. He doesn't have those natural athletic abilities that a lot of people like to have in a center back but that doesn't necessarily mean everything. Look at John Terry, one of the most, his, the most historic center back in Chelsea history, one of the most historic English center backs in soccer history. By no means was that man fast. I mean, most people could outrun him, but he read the game better than anybody did. He matched it with great physicality, and he knew where the ball was going to be, so he got there before the ball did. And that's what Christian can do. And I'm not comparing him to John Terry. I'm just saying that John Terry was not fast. He did not have those athletic 
natural athletic abilities that a lot of people like to have, like Rudiger and Zuma have. But Christensen reads the game better. And I think he would really help Chelsea's defense if he played there more. Because as athletic as Rudiger and Zuma are, they make a lot of mistakes, especially positioning mistakes, which can really hurt a team. So I think I think Christensen made good on his opportunity, and I definitely think that he needs to get more playing time if Chelsea want to fix defensive woes and help out Kepa because you can't blame a goalkeeper for all the goals we have conceded. Chelsea has conceded, rather. And then Reese James, are Chelsea's young players continuing to impress. Reese James is playing really well at that right-back position, and Azpilicueta is doing what we need him to do. Chelsea needs him to do. They're at that left-back position where he has been really good. I think Chelsea, if they continue down this path, if they give Christensen more playtime, I think starting Reese James has been very good for the team, both offensively and defensively. I think Adoy needs to get more playtime. I think he plays well with Abraham. I think he plays well with Mason Mount. And I think it will help Chelsea get more results like this 3-0 win. I mean, they had 18 shots, 8 on target, dominated possession, but possession isn't everything. But what they really did well is they passed the ball very well. 568 passes and completed 84% of those. It was a phenomenal game all around. The team gelled well. Um, and Kovacic and Conte didn't play. A lot of people, though, questioning Conte's role in this system. He's continuing to be played as a very advanced midfielder, which he's not quite the attacking player, but I think he still has a place in that Chelsea squad. So it'll be interesting to see what Frank Lampard thinks Conte has, whether Conte has a future in the Chelsea squad. But the team played well. They passed well. Jorginho is having a much better season this year. Um, It helps that Tammy Abraham and others are finishing off his passes, and he's been very good from the penalty spot. So it'll be interesting to see what Chelsea does from here. And it'll definitely be interesting to see when the Champions League returns what Chelsea is able to do against a team like Bayern Munich, which I look forward to the Champions League returning. But with that being said, we are going to conclude our sports for the day, and we're going to move on to CES 2020, which has me really excited. A lot of great things at CES, some things that I don't necessarily care about but think are cool, like Sony made a car. Hey, great for them. It's a really cool concept. I'm not a concept guy. Concepts are cool, but I want to see what you can do right now. I don't want to see what you could possibly do. I want to see what you can do. And what I was excited to see what people can do is specifically Dell and Alienware, which I'm a strong believer in Alienware, and AMD, which I'm also a very strong believer in AMD. Those two or three groups excited me the most this CES. AMD and former Alienware employee and co-founder Frank Azor who is now lead architect for AMD was talking about their new 
Ryzen 4000 mobile processors, but more specifically what I'm excited about is Dell and their new G5. It's cheaper, for those of you who don't know, it's basically Dell's version of a cheap Alienware. But what excites me is it's going to have all AMD and AMD GPU and an AMD CPU, which Franco Zora said in early, early testings, having all AMD insides gives you a 10% increase in gaming performance and a 12% increase in creative professional work, which again, he made sure to make it clear this is early testing and that, that those numbers should and most likely will improve over time which is fantastic. I personally prefer AMD. I think they're better than Nvidia. I think they're better than Intel. And when you build a PC, you can put whatever the heck you want into it. But laptops, it's much harder to find diversity when you're buying something because, well, whatever the company puts in it is what you're going to get. And most companies, like Asus, are the only ones who have really kind of big names at least worked with AMD and putting in CPUs into their products like gaming laptops their new Asus 14 inch the 14 inch Zephyrus which looks cool I don't personally see the need for a 14 inch gaming laptop it's a small screen to play on especially if you're not hooking it up to a monitor it's a great concept but I don't know if 14 inches will be enough. Um, they're using AMD CPUs for that Zephyrus 14, which is great, but still using NVIDIA graphics units, which are also good, but I think AMD has a lot to offer, and I think that specifically, even if AMD isn't winning the game right now completely, I think in a couple of years, maybe even within this year, AMD will really start to take over both CPU and GPU, um, the market space, which is why I'm excited that Dell, which they're smart for doing this as well, instead of putting an Alienware laptop with all AMD inside, they're putting a budget laptop in with all AMD insides to see what that, well, one, will people buy it? Two, if people do buy it, will it be something that is worth it to the company to continue to make, and is it something that is worth to Alienware to put out M15s, M17s with all AMD inside. I think it could also drive prices down even though probably won't Alienware because they're expensive regardless of what's in it. I think it would be interesting though to see more laptops do AMD GPUs and CPUs. Most, most people are okay with AMD CPUs. It's the GPU market that AMD is still trying to work their way into. I mean, they're already in it, but they're trying to get more popularity over NVIDIA, which I definitely think they can, and I definitely think they should because they're a great, great, great company, and they make great products. But I look forward to seeing what this G5, what the performance is like when it is being reviewed by YouTubers. It'll be interesting to see what their takes are on it. What what is the performance like? What's the, what's the overall price like? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to Dell? Is it worth it to Alienware trying 
And if it is, that excites me because then I can buy an Alienware with all AMD inside the laptop and I can have a desktop with all AMD. I think it's great. I think it could definitely improve performance like Frank has always said. I mean, if you have the same exact product across the board inside your laptop or desktop, it's probably going to work pretty well. And that's what Intel's trying to do. They didn't really reveal their graphics card. They just kind of showed, literally showed the graphics card. They didn't really say anything else about it. So Intel sees that what AMD is doing is the way to go, which is interesting to see what will happen to NVIDIA. Let's say Intel makes a really great graphics card, which I doubt, but let's say they do. What happens to NVIDIA? Especially if having the same continuity throughout your computer, desktop or laptop, improves performance. Why would any company want to go with AMD or Intel as a CPU and NVIDIA as a GPU? So it'll be interesting to see what Intel's graphics cards like, but more importantly, it'll be interesting to see what AMD can do with this new Dell G5 and whether or not it boils over to um, Alienware. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm excited for what AMD's doing. I really believe in what their company is doing. And I'm excited to see what this laptop does, and I look forward to future testing from YouTubers, and it'll be good. But that concludes our episode today. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one. See you guys later.